Uh, the scripture this morning is from Deuteronomy. After uh, the Easter Sunday, we go back to finish the book of Deuteronomy over the next um, few Sundays. And just as significantly, at the 11 o'clock service, we'll have uh, about 55 young people who will be confirmed into our church. So I'll be honest, the, the, the sermon's more for them than for you, but maybe you'll do better when somebody else is being lectured for a change. So the scripture that we're using is the 27th chapter of Deuteronomy. Moses and all the elders commanded the people of Israel, saying, Keep the commandments that we give you this day. When you cross over to the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up stones and coat them in plaster. Write on these stones the very laws that we have given you when you cross over the Jordan to the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And when you cross the Jordan, come to Mount Ebal and set up these stones and coat them with plaster. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. When I went to Israel the first time in 1999, we landed late in the afternoon or mid to late afternoon. We got on a bus and went to a place called Gezer. Gezer, G-E-Z-E-R, is one of the major cities uh, in ancient Israel because it, it uh, is along the trade route that connects um, the parts of uh, the Arabian spice trade and the Egyptian trade with the eastern powers of Babylon and Assyria. So to control the road, uh, Israel would be build fortified um, uh, places along this road. But when we got there, we didn't look first at the fortified uh, area that uh, Israel had built. Instead, we found these and saw these. These are large stones. This is a picture my son took on his trip this summer. These stones, are uh, some of them are 20 feet high, weigh 25 tons, and are sunk, say archaeologists, 20, 20 feet into the ground uh, as well. They are extremely large. And so the question comes right away, well, who put them there? Well, we don't know exactly. Uh, the estimate is that these stones have been there 5,000 years. That's 3,000 years before Jesus. That's 15 to 1,800 years even before the Exodus. These stones were put here by some people who lived in the area. Well, you might ask, how did those stones get there? Don't know that either because they, some of them weighed 25 tons. Uh, we found the quarry. The quarry is three miles away. So how do people, 3,000 years before Jesus, move 25-ton stones three miles? Uh, lots of theories, but, but no clear answer. Well, what are the stones there for? Well, we have a better idea about uh, what that might be. Because in the ancient world, stones were often erected uh, to commemorate significant uh, events. Sometimes they were erected to commemorate um, uh, covenants or contracts or treaties between two nations. And so usually what would happen is the king of the greater nation comes into the conquered nation and they sign a treaty and a stone is placed there to remind the people that they serve the king of the greater nation. So sometimes it was uh, contracts were written in stone. Uh, sometimes it would be uh, to mark a significant victory in battle or some significant achievement on the part of the people. So, for example, if you've ever been to uh, Gettysburg or to Vicksburg, you know that we have large stones erected and they're inscribed on behalf 
uh, the different uh, armies that uh, gathered and fought on those places of battle. But sometimes the stones would be used in the ancient world to talk about something that was beyond human achievement, something that would be miraculous, something that apparently their God had done. Uh, maybe their God had given them a great victory. Maybe they had had three years without rain and God brought rain, so they erected uh, the stones. So hopefully you'll get your stones out for, uh, for later. Uh, but it would be about some significant event. So that raises the question, well, what significant event is this pointing to? And the answer is, we don't know. It happened 5,000 years ago, and there's nobody around to tell us. But we do know that in the biblical world, they use stones much the same way in Israel that these people must have used stones. Uh, they use stones to mark a contract. Uh, think about Moses getting the Ten Commandments. What were the Ten Commandments written on? They were written on stone. In the passage that I gave you today from Deuteronomy 27, it says, Now when you get in the promised land, you need to erect some large stones and coat them with plaster. In other words, they need to be there for a while, and they're going to tell the story of God's faithfulness. When uh, Jacob meets God and has an amazing experience of God, one of the things Jacob does to commemorate it is set up some stones. When the people of Israel have a miraculous crossing uh, through the Jordan River and get on into the promised land, they will take 12 stones and they will mark the place where they cross. This often happened in the biblical narrative as well. Basically, stones were used in the ancient world to tell a story, to be a reminder of uh, something significant that had happened. Now, why do I tell you all this today? It's because Confirmation Sunday is a stone-setting of sorts. It's, it's, a, it's a Sunday and we get a chance to, to make a statement, to say something significant is happening here. Now, the problem, of course, with Confirmation Sunday is, is um, the bulletins that have your name on it as a confirmand will soon be recycled. Uh, the pictures of each confirmand that will be on the screen when we lay hands on them later this morning, those pictures... Uh, won't be seen by most of the world. Uh, you don't walk around showing your picture uh, to other people. In many ways, what may happen here today, a stone setting of sorts could indeed be forgotten. There's every possibility that five years from now, people will not remember nor know nor care what we celebrated that God did with you today. So what do we do? Well, I think we need to understand the way the New Testament saw these stones. Let's turn to Jesus' disciple, Peter. This is what he said in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. He said, but you are living stones built together in a spiritual house. Now, he uses this metaphor, this picture in two ways. One is like the stones of the temple, which had to be uh, fitted together um, perfectly. So he's reminding the people, you need to fit together with other of God's people and, and you'll make a temple to God. But the other illusion is Peter knows well about these kinds of stone. And he's saying, you are the living reminders of what God is doing in the world. When people look at you, they will know about God. They're not going to see the bulletin from this Sunday morning. They're not going to see your certificate of membership. None of that. They will know about God by looking at you. Well, this has two, I think, very real implications for all of us who are Christians. The first one is this. 
in order for people to look at you, somehow you have to stand out. Now, it may be your misfortune to only uh, get to be five foot uh, eight and a half and not have much hair. Then people aren't going to notice you uh, physically for standing out. But that's not the kind of standing out that I think Peter had in mind. He felt you would stand out because the way you lived your life would be different from the way the people around you lived their life. You cannot miss these stones. They were set up by a major roadway in that day called the Via Maris, the, the way of the sea. You can't miss those things. 20, 25 feet high by the side of the road. Everyone would look at them because they stood out. So part of this means that the way you live your life has to be significantly different from the way that others around you live. Trust me, if you live the way that we've taught you in confirmation this year, that'll do the trick. You will be different from the rest of the culture and the rest of the people who are around you. And when that happens, you will stand out. People will notice you. One of my sons was on a plane this week, and he sat next to the girlfriend of a first-round NFL draft choice on our way to the uh, uh, draft thing in New York City. And uh, so they had an interesting conversation because uh, she had gotten to know some of the other projected first-round draft picks because they were all in Arizona uh, working out together, and that's uh, where uh, this person had spent a lot of time. So she met them. So my son started asking her about these different uh, famous, um, uh, well, at least soon-to-be famous uh, football players. And the comments were very interesting. She focused on a couple in particular that he asked about one. She talked about that one and mentioned somebody else just like him. And she said what stood out to her was their humility. What stood out to her was the fact that they didn't party like the rest. What stood out to her uh, was that there was a different quality to their character. And when she finally had her boyfriend ask them what was going uh, to account for all that, Both of these um, guys, and I'm sure there were others as well, but both of them pointed to their faith in God. They stood out in such a way that the question was asked, just like the stone. You look at the stone and you say, why are they there? Why is it this way? Why is it different from everything else around it? So that when you live the life God's calling you to live, people will ask questions. story about a youth group in a neighboring state. And the youth group, under uh, their youth leaders' uh, direct um, coaching and help, decided to to, um, uh, adopt an elementary school with a lot of at-risk children. They mentored the children, helped them with reading, helped them with other programs. And then the youth from the church got their parents involved with the parents of the at-risk children and helping them with all sorts of things they had to navigate in their life. And, And amazing things happened. And the teacher whose class got adopted... Uh, was amazed at these youth and, and said, now why are y'all doing this again? And they told her about their commitment to God and Christ and their commitment to love God and to love their neighbor on behalf of Christ. And this was her comment. I read it in a story a few weeks ago. I mean, and, and it's classic. Her comment is, if that's what Christianity is about, I want some of it. That's what it, because they stood out in such a way that she noticed it was different. She wanted to be a part of it. So part of being a standing stone is, well, you've got to stand out by the way you live your life. The other part of being a standing stone is, well, quite frankly, we don't know what happened 5,000 years ago because nobody's around to tell the story. The ability to tell who 
what God has done for you and why you are the way you are is as significant as standing out. That's part of it. Live the life God's called you to live, but be able, says Peter, to give a reason for the life that you live. And hopefully in confirmation over the past eight months, you've learned part of the story that you can share. To live in such a way that people will notice and to be able to articulate that the way you live is because of a God who taught you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. After um, the 830 service, I'm walking out and um, a person in the church said to me, you know, it would be real interesting to find out how those uh, first round draft choices are doing with their with their walk and their faith in two to five years after they've been exposed to everything that they will be exposed to. And I thought as I was going up the stairs, yeah, that's the question, isn't it? The question is not whether you stand here this morning as a stone when you are confirmed. The question is five, ten, fifteen years from now, will you still be standing? 